Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points, America's favorite nerd analytical podcast. I'm Kevin Cole. I'm your host, senior data scientist here at PFF. Got a few questions coming out of the week. The broad thematic questions, questions revolving around injuries. We'll talk about the injuries that have happened as we go through all the different games. Questions revolving around who are the good teams in the NFL. We have the Bills. We have the Chiefs. We have the Eagles. Who else wants to step up? Not a lot of teams stepping up this week. Uh, This week, it seemed like the Carolina Panthers were one of the few teams that weren't tanking after having interim head coach Steve Wilkes take over in an inspired effort against the Bucs there. Uh, we'll, We'll get into that game, of course, as we go on. So we'll try to answer some of those thematic questions as we're going along. But the linchpin of this program, the adjusted scores, all the analytics, all the numbers, dissecting decisions that are being made via fourth down, time management, two-point conversions, all that stuff. We will dissect all of that. We'll get into all the numbers. Uh, We're also going to add a couple little wrinkles here for our viewers on the YouTube. Those wrinkles will be... Um, I had some commentary about some people. Maybe it was a little difficult to follow along with a lot of the numbers that I'm throwing at you. I try to strip it down a little bit, but it's hard. You know, I'm a nerd. I like to talk about numbers. Um, so while we're throwing some of these numbers at you, at least, I'm going to display some banners down at the bottom of the screen for our YouTube video users that will show you the scores, the adjusted scores. Then also when I'm talking about the number of the game, which I will have for each and every game. That will be displayed on the bottom of the screen. So, you know, we're innovating. We're innovating here. We're innovators on unexpected points. By we, I mean the royal we, of course. I mean, I am doing these things. Got the video clips. Now we got some banners on here. Preparation equals success when it comes to putting all of this stuff together. Let's go ahead and get into it here. We're going to start with Sunday night. I know it was the most exciting game, but a game that probably a lot of people watched. Excitement at the end, despite the fact there were zero points scored in the second half, but it all ended on the arm of Kenny Pickett, who we're going to get into whether what sort of quarterback he can be going forward. But on this particular night, didn't have enough to bring a comeback, despite the fact that they only had this six-point deficit most of the night. Kick it. Escape. Thought about running. Has to fire and stands at the sideline. Nick Benogany didn't come down with the second foot. Holland says review it. Line judge comes down for a conversation. It looked like one foot. And it also looked like Pickett could have run for about 20 yards on that one. Chris, he may have this. He may have this. Let's look. Nick Benogany, one down, he got two it. down. He got yep. it. Yes, Igbenogany comes down with the interception, ends the game, um, and puts an end to the Steelers' chance to make a comeback here. So the number of the game here, the number of the game for this one is four. And that is going to be the total difference between interceptions and turnover-worthy plays for these different teams. And what that plays into is that the adjusted score, which I'll reveal soon enough, is much closer than you may have expected on this game. There were three dropped interceptions 
that we graded as dropped interceptions for the Steelers. One of them, I think, was a little bit questionable. Like, it wasn't the easiest catch for a potential for a drop interception. But the other two were just right there. They were the classic type of plays where you say, okay, now I get it why these guys are playing defensive back and they're not playing receiver. Because they were there for the taking. And on the other side of it, we graded the long interception for Kenny Pickett where Claypool's feet got Feet, body, hips, waist, whatever, got tied up with the defender. He fell down. It was an interception. Terry McCauley, the rules analyst on the broadcast, said that he believed it should have been a DPI. So we did not grade that as a turnover-worthy play. So in total, we had four different um, potential turnovers or turnovers that could have gone the other direction very, very easily based upon the play. And that's what makes some of the difference in what we're going to look at when I get to my adjusted scores here. So in this game here, Miami... Seven and a half point favorite. They win 16-10. The adjusted score is 20-20. Right down the middle on this one. A little bit surprising because the Dolphins were more generally successful in this game with their success rate. But again, the turnover-worthy plays that did not happen, did not actually affect the game for Tua, are driving, moving this adjusted score around a little bit versus what we saw. And Kenny Pickett, I think he was about equal to what we saw from Tua, despite some of the struggles that he had there. 44 different pass attempts for him, so he was throwing in a lot. It's only 5.8 yards per attempt versus 7.5 for Tua. But he was adding some value with a few rushes with his legs, picking up some first downs there, and he looked okay doing it in that manner. What was weird about this game is that Miami looked great to start the game. If you look at how they started off this game, touchdown, field goal, field goal, punt, field goal but then we didn't see anything else from them the entire rest of the game and Pittsburgh did have that touchdown a great catch by George Pickens from Kenny Pickett which seems to be a connection that's brewing there Pickens finishes this game with six catches for 61 yards and a touchdown so there's something going on there but I don't know that both offenses did not display a ton of upside in this game especially when we're considering that they are going to be playoff caliber type teams and the turnover-worthy plays for Tua, that's really going to be an issue if it continues going forward because you have the high upside with some of these players. When it comes to Hill, it comes to Waddle. Waddle had four catches for 88 yards. Hill had seven catches for 72 yards. So you do have some of that with these teams, but you got to limit those turnover-worthy plays. They didn't turn into interceptions in this one, did not get them in this one did not get two in this one but still he only had a 63 grade in this particular game because of how difficult it was with the turn worthy plays now what he does do maybe he doesn't get enough credit in a lot of different systems when it comes to Tua is 2.4 average time to throw zero sacks in this game the Steelers pass rush has been struggling a lot, I would say, without T.J. Watt. But still, they had 15, 15 players produce pressures in this game. Um, I'm sorry. Um, there's only five pressures in this game. So Alex Highsmith had four pressures, one outside of that. A combination of a much improved uh, Dolphins pass protection, which we've seen that at least with Tua playing there, I think it's kind of a symbiotic relationship with him and the pass rush, how he's able to enhance them and make them better. Um, that they've been playing better this year. And then also Tua getting rid of the ball extremely quickly really helps in this one. Okay, now we've got to talk about looking forward on this one. It's a game maybe you throw away 
for the Dolphins. You hope you're going to be a little bit better going forward, despite the fact you ended up winning this game. It does get them back into um, contention area here. They're up to 52% to make the playoffs at this point. So it was a big, nice jump for them there. They're at four and three. Still behind the Jets, though, and the Bills um, in the standings. I mean, we expect the Bills. We don't expect the Jets to be there. We'll talk more about how the Jets are there. So you're in a mix with the Chargers, who are also 4-3. and three. The Ravens are 4-3. and three. The Bengals are 4-3. and three. So you basically have those four teams. They're all 4-3 and three right now, with the Titans 4-2, and two, looking like they're going to get the division lead there. So they're battling for one of those wildcard spots. The... Division title is probably out of reach, but still, we're at about a 50-50 chance now with Tua coming back and the struggles that they had before that. This basically doesn't put a nail in the Steelers as far as their playoff chances, but they're down to 11%. You'd like to see more from, from Pickett so far this season. If we look at what Pickett has done, and I think this is going to be, you know, what can we expect from a guy like this going forward? What have we seen from him so far this season? Well, Pickett is at 27th in his grading ranking this season. He's 30th in his EPA per play. Not great. Not great from what we've seen so far. Then again, he has only a few starts here. He's going to have some more time to get into it. He hasn't faced the easiest schedule when they brought him in, having to face the Bills and others now in the Miami defense, which can be pretty tough. So we're going to hope for a little bit more for him going forward. But... The upside, as far as throwing the ball down the field, he does do that despite not having the strongest arm. But when we start to hear Taylor Heineke type of uh, comparisons for his gun slingingness and his, and throwing it down the field, that's when you start to get a little bit worried about wh- what you're going to have with him, whether or not his arm can you know cash the checks that his mind is writing. Seven interceptions already this season for Pickett. Um, on five turnover-worthy plays. So he has had some bad luck there, but still, two touchdowns, seven interceptions is going to be something people are going to be looking at and wondering about going forward for Pickett. All right, let's get into the second game of the week that I'm going to preview. We're going to go straight to the afternoon, and we're going to go straight to a dominant performance for the Kansas City Chiefs. First down, 10th play of the drive. Hardman gets it. On the sweep. Oh, Hartman's still going inside the 10, and he is in for the touchdown. 25 yards for McCole Hardman, his second today. Yes, yes, the second rushing touchdown for McCole Hardman. He ends up with not one, not two, but three rushing touchdowns for Hardman. What's interesting about Hartman is that you have the explosive plays that he can make. Um, I guess actually one of those touchdowns was technically a passing touchdown, although it was like a handoff type of situation, a receiving touchdown, but still basically three rushing, rushing touchdowns for Hardman. He provides a bit of an explosive element, whether he's not necessarily the best at, at actually catching the ball down the field, uh, four catches for 32 yards in this game, including that touchdown, which was more of a handoff situation, but he does bring explosive speed where MVS has some of that speed, three catches for 111 yards for him. Juju Smith-Schuster does not, but he got down the field a lot in this game. Seven catches for 124 yards. But seeing some more explosive plays from the Chiefs, you know, 423 yards for Mahomes, 12.4 yards per attempt. That is the type of offense that you want to see. And the fact they're able to piece this together without Tyreek Hill, with a bunch of other 
uh, players here is very, very encouraging for them going forward. All right, let's get to the number of the game here. It's seven. And the reason I picked this, I say seven straight possessions for the Chiefs offense where they scored a touchdown. And technically, it's not true. So I'm pulling a little bit of an okie doke here. Not true. They did not score a touchdown on seven straight possessions because one of those possessions near the end of the half was a questionable blocking, you know, low block call, which ended up calling back a touchdown. So technically it was touchdown, touchdown, field goal to end the half, and then four straight touchdowns. But regardless, it just shows this is the story here, the dominance of this Kansas City offense against a San Francisco defense that's still missing some players, but Traverius Ward played some in this game. Nick Bosa was back in this game. They should have been a little bit more at full strength on the other side of the ball. You know, Christian McCaffrey came in. He played a handful of snaps, um, got involved somewhat. Trent Williams was back, you know, maybe the best left tackle in the NFL. So he was back, although despite that, Frank Clark made some plays, including a safety in the end zone. So question city here for San Francisco coming out of this one after, you know, a game that looked like it was close at one point. They were up 10 early in the game. It was somewhat close in the third quarter for a little bit, but just too much offense for Kansas City. There was nothing that could be done despite some bonehead plays by Jimmy Garoppolo, as we often see. There's really nothing he could do in this situation, despite the fact that he's going to attract a lot of attention. Very, very few quarterbacks are going to be elite enough to play with the Kansas city offense that is scoring touchdown after touchdown, after touchdown, after touchdown in this one. And the exact numbers here, Kansas city was a one point favorite going into this. They win 44 to 23, the adjusted score, um, KC, I was supposed to be 35, 27. Sorry for the typo on that one. So the, um, pretty healthy win for them there. And still, you know, 27 for the, uh, for the San Francisco adjusted score is not bad. You know, that's going to get you wins in a lot of games. Jimmy Garoppolo, before he had the fumble to end the game there, was at 0.15 EPA per play. That's about a 70th, 75th percentile type of outcome there. So he's playing well enough where if you had an average team against an average opponent, you put up the type of EPA per play that he does. And I know everyone says, oh, it's a team stat. It's a team stat. Touchdowns are a team stat. Uh, passing yards are a team stat. Yards per attempt are a team stat. They're all team stats, other than maybe grading, which of course he suffers in somewhat. But um, these are all team stats. He just continually is working a pretty good offense for this team. It's just they couldn't get it done when the defense is playing on the way they were. And just to go over some of the numbers for how dominant Kansas City was in this game, 95th percentile in their success rate offensively. Uh, 95th percentile dropping back to pass, 67th percentile against the run. Didn't really matter because they're passing it a lot more than they run there as far as the running game. But still, the running game was good. Whereas San Francisco, 81st percentile success rate offensively, pretty darn good. 75th passing the ball, pretty darn good. This is just a situation where no matter how good they were going to play offensively, they weren't going to be able to match the firepower that San Francisco was bringing I mean, that Kansas City was bringing on the other side. I mean, more numbers on the Kansas City offense. I know I'm laying it on a little bit here, but just to just to re- put it in a yards sort of perspective, 9.1 yards per play. So every single time they're snapping the ball, they're averaging nine yards. Every single time they, they have a passing play, 11.4 uh, net passing. Every single time they pass, 11.4 yards, 5.3 rushing the ball. 
did not did not have a chance at all. Uh, McCaffrey, let's talk McCaffrey. Eight carries for 38 yards, 4.8 yards per attempt. Not bad there. And then he was also involved somewhat in the passing game. Two catches for 24 yards on two targets. I'm sure those numbers will go up significantly. But Jeff Wilson, seven carries for 54 yards, 7.7 yards per attempt. So it's not like they were having difficulty running the ball with Wilson. It's not like Wilson's a bad rushing back. I don't think the Christian McCaffrey is going to bring a ton of extra juice in the running game. It's really going to be in the passing game where he's going to come there. And the question will be, you know, is San Francisco going to let Jimmy cook a little bit? Maybe this was a game where, yeah, it probably did not really matter whether they were going to let Jimmy cook or not in this particular game, because they're going to have such a hard time uh, coming back against this Kansas city offense. But if we look at the numbers for pass rates versus expectation in this game, Kansas city, you know, 64% pass rate versus 71 for San Francisco. So you might think, oh, San Francisco is more pass happy in this game. But no, they're down a lot. So you have to build that game script sort of expectation into it. And when you do build that in, we have Kansas City at a 64% pass rate, which is 11% better than what you would expect because they were winning by so much. San Francisco, yes, it's 71%, but 1% under what you would expect. Christian McCaffrey, if you're really going to unlock this guy, if you're really going to unlock Debo Samuel, if you're really going to unlock George Kittle, all these different players, you're going to need to probably boost up that pass rate, at least in these types of games where it's going to be a shootout. Again, this game, not the greatest example, because no matter what you were doing, you probably weren't going to win this game. You had to be perfect on your side of the ball in order to match the perfection that we saw from Kansas City on that side of the ball. But this is something to think about in other games if you want to maximize all those weapons. And part of the trade breakdown I did for this Christian McAfee trade, which you can check out on last Friday's episode of Unexpected Points, is that might have to let Jimmy Cook a little bit more. Even if it's a bunch of screen passes to these guys. We saw a screen to McCaffrey on this one. Um, that was replace some of these early down runs with that, despite the fact that they were okay running the ball in this one, in this particular game. Okay, let's get to what are we going to look at them going forward. Kansas City is firmly the second best team in the NFL, according to our numbers. I know some people may still put the Eagles in that conversation, bowing to, you know, looking at the record. But we have the we have them being about a point and a half, two points better than the Eagles. They're up to 94% to make the playoffs. That's pretty much a done deal. 86% to win the division, which was helped greatly by the Chargers lost this week. 21% to go to the Super Bowl, 12% to win the Super Bowl, which still remain, those numbers still remain about half each of what we're seeing for Buffalo. So impressive win for Kansas City. We're not putting them on the same level, really close to the same level as Buffalo at this point. Um, but they both have pretty easy schedules going forward. So the Kansas City's had the third hardest schedule so far this season. Now they're going to have the 25th most difficult schedule after getting San Francisco out of the way, which I think is going to be huge for them. If you look at their games the next few weeks, you're going to have, um, I guess you're going to have a bye first. Then you're going to have the Titans, the Jaguars, the Chargers, the Rams, who haven't looked so hot, uh, Bengals, Broncos, Texans, Seahawks, Broncos again, and Raiders. So, you know, not the easiest schedule going forward, but definitely a lot of winnable games so far. Um, having already played some teams like the Bills, and now the 49ers and the Bucks, who maybe aren't as good as we thought they were, but still three out of the last four games against those teams coming out of those three games, 
two and one, losing to the Bills by four points. You'll take that as Kansas City. Uh, going over to the 49ers, three and four. Not great. Uh, they're a much better team than that. They're a top six team, according to our numbers. We have to remember that, you know, week one, losing to the Bears with um, with uh, Trey Lance there, that definitely affects things. But they had the easiest schedule year to date. So the combination of the easiest schedule year to date and a three and four record is not great. Luckily for them, they have the fifth easiest schedule going forward. So pretty easy schedules for a lot of teams coming out of the NFC West. 48% chance to make the playoffs, 31% chance to win the division. We're not giving nearly enough credit to the first place Seahawks as part of these calculations. We're still expecting some big time regression there. But if we're wrong, then San Francisco is in a little bit even more hot water now. And the whole going all in sort of thing whatever you know they're going to have McCaffrey for a couple more seasons but I do think it's interesting what sort of pivot point they'll have next year depending upon how well they play how much faith they have in Trey Lance all that sort of stuff going forward with Garoppolo there could be you know could be some issues for this team in another year or two when all of those loss of draft picks eventually ends up catching up with the 49ers all right Let's get to the next game on the agenda. A surprising game as far as how much I enjoyed it when I was re-watching it. And, of course, we have to start bowing down to New York. Big New York. The New York Industrial Complex is taking over the NFL, including the Giants, the disrespected Giants, as three-point underdogs in Jacksonville come away with the victory. Trevor Lawrence throws a strike. Christian Kirk right there at the end. But look. Inside the the one-yard line, and what do you say about, what did Wink Martindale say about Fabian Moreau? you got to be able to make tackles. Boom, right there. He gets him and keeps him out of of the end zone. Okay, so we'll go check on Mark Shreloff after that, that, uh, the color commentator on that game. Sounds like he may have... uh, May have been a hernia or something, uh, <laughs> pulled a hammy or something going over the uh, the review there. So, yes, one yard away from a score, down six points at the end of the game. The Jaguars cannot win at home. They go down to the, you know, your New York football giants, who everyone loves, who continues to rack up victories, who continues to own the nerds. Uh, I would say this is the worst possible outcome for me, having to hear about the narratives of Dayball and coaching and why they won't regress on their one-score games. Every every game for them has been a one-score game this, so far this season. Um, I'd say it's a worst-case scenario, but I, I think the real worst-case scenario for me would have been them like blowing out the Jaguars. So at least as nerds, we can still hold to our priors of these one score games being a little bit of luck as far as whether they go up or down we can still hold and battle battle the football industrial complex and all of their takes on Dable and the Giants and everything else we can still battle them with evidence of being one yard away from potentially losing that game and the luck that's associated with it um but you know Happy, happy to hear about uh, Dable's great coaching for another week which he probably is doing a good job don't get me wrong they're winning games he's probably doing a good job um is going to be a little bit uh, difficult to swallow for me in this game. So what is the, the number of the game in this one? Well, the number in the game of this one is 43. 
43 is the number of the game. And the reason that that is the number of the game is that is the win probability the Jags could have had. Okay, if they converted, it was fourth and five at their own 30-yard line with 440 remaining. This is kind of the decision of the game. The decision of the game. One of the decisions of the week here that the Jags failed on. And which hurts me because I labeled the Jags. I gave them the moniker that all analytically forward-thinking teams dream of. And that is our Jags. Our Jaguars. I gave them our meaning nerds. We're going to embrace them because of how great um, Peterson has been this year with the decision-making. And he displayed it earlier in this game, too. Yeah, they failed on a fourth and inches, which was kind of a toss-up. But I think for the fact that it was a fourth and inches, it was a good decision. Uh, They converted another fourth and one where they're quick and they're ready to go. There's no hesitation here. This one, I think Peterson bowed down a little bit to the football guy and media and everyone else. Couldn't pull the trigger on this one. I know you're at your own 30-yard line. I know there's 440 remaining. They only had one timeout left. Only one timeout left for the Jags. Uh, I know if you don't convert, it feels like the game is over at that point. But the numbers give you a pretty strong lean in that situation to the fact that you should be going for it. Uh, Basically, if you go for it, you gain about 2.8% win probability. And... If you punt it, the estimation is that punting the ball in that situation, you have about a one in four chance of winning the game. So going for it, you increase your chance a little bit more because you're going to fail more than half of the time. That's another reason why teams don't like to do this. They're like, we're going to fail more than half of the time. So therefore, we're going to get criticized more than half of the time. And that's kind of how people look at these decisions. Did you make it? Did you didn't make it? But even if you assume you're going to fail more than half of the time, the upside going all the way up to a 43% chance of winning the game by converting versus punting and just having a 24% chance. You just needed to take that risk with the fact that the Giants offense having to stop them one timeout left, all that sort of stuff. Now they did have a chance at the end and they got close at the end, mostly because Saquon Barkley went out of bounds when he shouldn't have gone out of bounds, leaving some time there at the end. But this was a time where Peterson needed to, you know, sack up here Go ahead, go for it in that situation. If you go down, go down with the with, with the analytical ship here. And if you convert that, you put yourself in a really good chance to win that game. If you don't, you're allowing the other team to take over, to take advantage, and to dictate what is going to happen in this contest. Okay, overall numbers here. Jags, again, three-point favorites going into this game. Everyone said it was fishy. It was a weird line. It made no sense. Uh now you can continue to say that, I guess, if you want to. But go go ahead and make some money out there, people. When you're complaining about these Vegas and what's going on with the Vegas Lions, go ahead and make some cold, hard cash and go ahead and bet against them. Uh, you would have made some money in this game. It would have been congratulations to you on this one. The adjusted score, I was a little surprised that it was 33-23 Giants, that it was so far towards the Giants in this one because you had a Travis Etienne fumble on the goal line. You had them almost scoring this touchdown at the very end. You had them failing on a fourth and inches. You had a lot of things for the Jags. You had Trevor Lawrence missing open receivers. We'll talk about that. He's like has a tendency to sail the ball continually over and over again on some plays. So I'm surprised that the Giants were ahead by that much, but it really just comes down to the success rates that build into the formula to make adjustments here. The Giants had a 93rd percentile success rate in this game. 
they could not be stopped uh, going forward. 93rd percentile rushing the ball too. And then some of that was Daniel Jones. Jones, 11 carries for 107 yards, 10 yards per carry. That's powerful. Only took one sack in this game. No interceptions in this game. They also failed on a fourth and two near the goal line, which I think was a good decision, but it was a little bit rushed. So I think the decision has to be a little bit faster next time. I'm not sure if that was a Brian Dable thing, if that was a difficulty in personnel, whatever happened there, but they almost, they almost messed that one up. Uh, Well, they did mess that one up by getting down to about zero on the clock on this one. But I think also if I'm not going to necessarily give credit to, to Dable because everyone wants the Dable thing, the coaching thing. I still think that's right to regress. I'll, I'll look back to Kevin Stefanski as an example. Well, I think Stefanski is a good coach. I think Dable's a good coach. But these one-score game things, Stefanski was – he won seven out of nine one-score games when he was coach of the year in his first season in 2020 for the Browns. Since then, he's only won six out of 15 games in one-score games. It's just it's just pretty random, guys. So being six and one, all one score games so far this year, it's going to be a little random for the Giants going forward. Who I will give credit to, this is credit when credit is due here, and someone I did not expect to be playing well this year is Daniel Jones. Having four years of sample of Jones being a mediocre quarterback, and maybe his improvement, we say we should give a lot of that to Dayball too. I think we could definitely give some of that, although he's had flashes in the past of being pretty good. And he's cleaned things up, though. The um, awareness factor, you know, the fumbles are way down since early in his career. Being aware there, the turnover-worthy play factor, not doing that. Running the ball a lot. Now, maybe that's also Dable unlocking him, but I would have loved, you know, this was just something that's there for the for the taking. That was kind of an obvious thing that you should do is unlock Daniel Jones, running the ball a lot more. They're doing that now. And he struggled the first couple of weeks, and that's when I was very, very skeptical of the Giants after those first few weeks. He had a 53 passing grade those first two weeks. But since then, he's at an 80 passing grade. He's way up there as far as how he has been able to perform. And each week that haters like myself of the Giants continue to look at and say they're going to regress and everything else, I think we don't want to build too much on the fact that they really overperformed those first few weeks. You know, Carolina was a bad team that they beat. They really were bad against the Titans week one, although they ended up winning that game. You know, they're starting to play a lot better now. Green Bay may be not good, but they played well in that game. They played well in this game. So we also don't want to build too much of the early season struggles for the Giants into our overall projection for who they will be going forward. Because if we look at Daniel Jones, he's about a league average quarterback by his grading and by his EPA which is good, which is good enough to get things done if you could continue to be successful on the ground. And it doesn't happen every week, but it definitely happened in this particular game. On the Jacksonville side of the ball, Trevor Lawrence, I mentioned the whole thing with Lawrence as far as, you know, the, the difference between his grading and his efficiency is crazy this season. He's 31st in grading. He is eighth or tied for eighth in efficiency with Joe Burrow this season. Very efficient near the on on uh running the ball. Another touchdown here, although he didn't convert a fourth and one, which hurt him a bit here, but another touchdown. He had two touchdowns last week on the ground. He's adding a ton of value on the ground. So it's another thing where I think Peterson is doing a fantastic job, probably an underrated job because of how the wins and losses have played out here, but doing a fantastic job also using Trevor Lawrence, unlocking that rushing potential with him. Because the passing is, you know, is so-so, like 31st 
in his grading so far this year in terms of his passing. Sailing balls, a little bit too much. Missing open receivers, a little bit too much. Um, he had a turnover-worthy play that was called back by penalty. Of course, so did Jones on the other side in this game. Travis Etienne looks like they finally turned it over to him. Um, 14 carries, 114 yards. He's not always going to produce that sort of efficiency, but looked great there. Unfortunately, the careless fumble where the worst-case scenario would have been first and goal from the three-yard line, so that one really hurt. Uh, but then Etienne also had you know, a, a catch in, in the passing game, but really that rushing juice that he's bringing ends up being huge for him here. Okay. So where do we stand with these teams going forward? Despite how much we might want to hate on the giants, they're now into being about a league average team, according to our number. So congratulations, giants, <laughs> you're up there. You're moving up. We are recognizing it. We're moving you up. We're, we're moving off of our prior. We're just not making you a top 10 team because you have that uh, six and one record. They have an 82% chance to make the playoffs now. 22nd most difficult schedule going forward. So a top 10 easy schedule going forward. On average, we think they're going to win 11 games this year. So we're looking at a team, you know, it's going to be an 11-6 team. We're going to have to reckon with this uh, going forward. And this 82% chance is especially uh, impressive to make the playoffs with the fact that Philly is really looking like they're running away and they're going to have this division title. So the fact you have basically a 15% chance to win the division and you still have an 82% chance to make the playoffs shows you how strong the underlying, you know, win loss record and some of the numbers are for the giants going forward. Really, really, really disappointing for the Jags because now we're looking at maybe a 10% chance to make the playoffs, despite the fact that they have been in a lot of games this year then performed well, but still that, that Texans game, they definitely could have won. They could have won the Colts game last week and they could have won this game. Although it was a little bit more giants were a little bit more dominant in this one this week. Instead, they don't, they move down to having a very tough road here going forward, especially with the Tennessee Titans continuing to win games and looking somehow like the Titans are going to, are going to end up winning the division here again in twenty. 22. All right. Next game on the agenda here is sad, sad Tom, sad Tom and the non-tanking Panthers take it to sad Tom and the rest of the Bucks. On the 17, it's Hubbard, Juba Hubbard to the end zone, touchdown. Yes, Chuba Hubbard with the touchdown after a 60-yard run from uh, Deontay Foreman before that. And, okay, this is, it's interesting. You look at the final score, it looks like, you know, a little bit of a beatdown, 21-3 to for Carolina. But the number of the game gives you a little bit of context here. And the number of the game here is one. And that is only one score on the first 15 possessions of this game. Now, Mike Evans dropped what would have been an easy touchdown on the first possession of the game for the Bucks, But if you look at the win probability, you look at those win probability graphs, I know everyone hates them, but still, you look at these win probability graphs, the Bucks were still favored. And again, if you want to go, if you don't believe these graphs, go ahead and bet this stuff. And, you know, you can bet in game on these sorts of things. If you were betting in game, the Bucks would have still been the favorite to win the game until about midway through the third quarter, a little bit later, late part of the third quarter in this game. So with all the struggles the Bucks were having, 
it wasn't like this game, this game was there for the taking. This was not some sort of game where the Panthers showed some sort of great offensive success in this one. Um, yet still, you know, the adjusted score probably gives us some more context here. Tampa Bay, 13 point favorite, biggest favorite of the week, lose 21 to three. Amazingly high differential there between how much they were favored by. You're favored by 13, you lose by. 18. That's that's rough. Adjusted scores 23-20 Carolina. So we do have Carolina a little bit higher on the adjusted scores, but a pretty close game here. And that's because the success rate for Carolina was only 17th percentile in their success rate versus 57th for the Bucks. They just had those big plays that we talked about. Uh, the big plays to DJ Moore, who they finally got unlocked a little bit in this one. Seven catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown on 10 targets. Uh, Deontay Foreman, 15 carries for 118 yards, eight yards per carry. Chuba Hubbard averaged another seven yards per carry. Lots of stuff going on there. And I think it's really defensively what is going on with the Bucs. I know everyone's going to be talking about Brady. Um, you know, 5.9 yards per attempt, not great. But again, that dropped touchdown by Evans. Uh, they can't run the ball again, as usual. Leonard Fournette, 19 yards on eight carries, 2.4 yards per carry. Uh, just, you know, they can't do a lot there. So I know everyone's going to be focusing on the offense because they're going to see that three score. Although my adjusted score is 20. They were a much better internally offense than what that score is. But I'm a little bit more concerned about this Bucks defense because, yeah, they kept their success rate down. But why are these big plays? Why are they giving up these big plays? Why is this happening? Why, is the Carolina, why are the Carolina Panthers having their first really successful offensive performance of the year against the defense that's supposed to be, you know, a top five ish sort of defense. Why, why is that happening? Uh, that's concern time for the bucks for me. Cause if you look at their numbers this season on defense, they're still top 10 in success rate and EPA per play where they were top 10. Now this is the fourth straight season but they've had a really easy schedule so far. So that's part of it. And against the run in particular, they haven't been that great. And they really got bitten here uh, with the run defense. Maybe that's, you know, no and Dominican Sue being there uh, this season versus in the past. But uh, it's going to be really, really tough for them to win if they cannot stop these big plays from happening on defense. On the bright side, which is interesting for Tampa Bay is, you know, they lose. They keep on losing all these games. Yeah, they still have a 71% chance to make the playoffs. They still have a 70% chance to win the division because everyone else in the division stinks. <laughs> so, you know, it's not looking good for Tom, not looking good for uh, that defense, not looking good for Todd Bowles, who probably made the worst decision by uh, win probability given up in this particular game. It was, let me see. So the decision we're talking about here, fourth and two, this is early in the game at your own 48. And, you know, you say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's early in the game. It's the, actually, you know what? It's the third quarter. I forgot. It was only 7-0 in the third quarter. Jesus. So third quarter, 11 minutes and 42 seconds to go. They had the ball on their own 48-yard line, fourth and two. The recommendation was about 7% win probability gain to go for it. Instead, they punt it 32 yards to the Carolina 20, 32 yards of field position. You're giving up where you can convert that, have the ball pass midfield and be ready to score in a game where you hadn't gotten, you had gotten zero points through the first two and a half quarters. I mean, not good. 
not good at all for them in this particular game. Maybe they'll get things turned around, but who knows? Now, Carolina, what you got to worry about now is playing yourself out of the number one pick in this in the NFL draft. So the Texans are one, four, and one. You got a lot of teams at two and five, uh, including the Panthers. You got the Lions at one and five. They could use a quarterback. You got the Saints at two and five. They'll take a quarterback. They'll probably be better, but they'll take a quarterback. So, eh, you know, Carolina, you're not gonna you're not gonna breeze to that number one overall pick here. You got the Texans and the Lions. I think are pretty stiff competition in this one. Uh, you should get there because the team's just not good offensively. I don't expect much from PJ Walker going forward, but who knows? Maybe Darnold comes back in. Maybe something ends up being a little bit better this year, and then you play yourself out of that number one pick. Not great. Not great if that ends up happening for them. They have a lot of extra picks, so I'm sure they'll get someone next year, but uh, don't blow this, Steve Wilkes, for, for the Carolina Panthers and their faithful this year. Okay, this let's get to the Detroit Lions, who end up in Big D having some problems with Dak Prescott. And the real problems for Detroit were Jared Goff's ability to keep the football in possession of his team. As he drafted Aaron Glenn as well with the New York Jets. And Quinn used to attend the Giants training camps. Here is Goff going for the deep ball. Oh, what an interception! That is Diggs, and he was not touched. Yes, another interception for Trayvon Diggs. We we talked a lot, a lot of PFF back and forth with Dallas Cowboy fans last year about how good is this guy. Uh, because he had bad coverage grades outside of his interceptions. Got a lot better. Got a lot better in coverage this year and still making plays, still getting some picks. I mean, a, a little help, of course, from the front end of that uh, that Dallas Cowboys defense, how much pressure that they're able to, to generate. Um, you know, that, 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 that doesn't hurt, right? That doesn't hurt for Diggs, who is... Yeah, if we look at his coverage grade, he's a 75.6 coverage grade this year. Not bad, not bad at all. Last year it was actually 75.2. But he it's really, we're talking about not giving up quite as much in the one-on-one coverage as he had last season, which made that differential in opinions. All right, let's get to the the number of the game for this one. And I kind of hinted at this with the Jared Goff, the Goffiness, the, the Goffacity. Uh, 23, sorry, 22.3 is the number of the game. And that is the expected points lost on five Lions turnovers in this game. Now, one of those is Jamal Williams at the goal line. So we can't put it all on golf. Uh, that was the most impactful play of the game. It was about 10, uh, actually eight and a half expected points lost. So that was a big one. But we also have two golf strip sacks and two golf INTs. He was only pressured on nine dropbacks, believe it or not, Jared Goff in this game. But in on those nine dropbacks, three turnovers, five sacks. Not good when you get pressure on Goff, and that came to play big time in this particular one. We look at the overall numbers here in this one. Dallas, a seven-point favorite. They win 24-6. to six. The adjusted score, 24-19. Probably a little too close versus what it really was. But again, the adjusted scores are going to say we're going to downweight some of these outlier plays. And there was a ton of outlier negative plays for 
the Lions in this particular game. And the Lions had a 71st percentile success rate offensively. Now, Dallas was a 90th percent, so they were much better. But it wasn't like the Lions couldn't consistently move the ball. Uh, Jared Goff, 8.8 yards per attempt when he wasn't getting sacked. 4.7 yards per carry. Um, Rushing the ball, they were okay doing that. Um, Both teams averaged 5.6 yards per play. Actually, Goff had a higher yards per attempt than Dak. And they had more yards per carry. Also, it's just the mix of between passing and rushing was heavier towards um, the Lions, which ended up making it closer than you think. So they weren't bad internally. It's just you cannot have those big mistakes. And that's like the Goff experience there is that his quarterbacking is actually not horrible um, sometimes. But then when the pressure comes, it can get bad. And he seems to take really, really bad pressures on this one. Uh, On the injury front... Amon Ross, St. Brown, concussion out of the game very early. One catch, four yards. He was concussed on that play at the very beginning of the game. We'll see what his status is going forward for a team that's already had its bye this season. And offensively for the Cowboys, I mentioned 90th percentile overall on their efficiency, 87th passing, 83rd running. So all three phases of the game, all two phases of the game were working for them on offense. Tony Pollard has some explosive plays. He brings that element 83 yards on 12 carries, which I thought was pretty important for them. Playoff picture for both of these teams. We have the Cowboys, even after missing Dak for all this time, up to 87% chance to make the playoffs. And we have them as a top six, top seven type of team overall. Offensively, I don't think they're really close to being there. But when you start to think about some of the lack of high-level play from a lot of teams this season, and then you look at this defense, which is fourth in total EPA per play rank, was fourth last season, is been great against the run and the pass this this year. Last year, they were like a 20-something type of team against the run, and they were the best team against the pass this year. They're top 10 in both categories, being a complete defense there. That helps. That helps a lot for this team. And with Dak getting back in there, Gallup hopefully getting up to speed, Noah Brown looking like he can contribute. Um, Not great run blocking so far for the team, but they looked a lot better last week with Tony Pollard. You know, this is a like a low-key team that has a chance to go to the Super Bowl this year. When you think about, all the bad things that are happening in the NFC and all this focus on the Eagles. Hey, maybe Dallas can get there. We'll see what happens the next time both of them face off later this season. All right, before we get into the rest of the games, we're going to do some ad reads. We're going to pay some bills here. And the first thing is DraftKings. Yes, DraftKings is offering... Any $5 NFL bet, get $200 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Unbeatable offers right now from DraftKings. You can get that. Plus, you can get the stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your winnings here. You can throw down on one of those stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game. 
And that's, you can get that $200 in free bets if you do. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook using code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And we're also sponsored here at Unexpected Points by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com. Okay, let's get to a AFC South showdown that no one seems to care about. I think it had the fifth broadcasting crew for CBS on this game, despite the fact that it's extremely relevant for who end up making the playoffs this year. And that is the Colts coming to visit the Titans in Tennessee. Again, the Colts are out of timeouts. They're going to run it with Henry again. Henry breaks free. Derrick Henry stiff-arming his way all the way inside the 25-yard line. And that should do it. Yes, Henry salts away the victory here. Derrick Henry finishing with 30 carries for 128 yards. Three, three catches for 10 yards. Still getting some looks. Still getting some looks in the passing game here. This is a number of strong games for Henry in a row. He's been over 130 total yards in three straight games here, doing what they want to do in Tennessee, winning this particular game. And when we get to the number of the game, and this is how they won defensively. It's that's getting pressure on Matt Ryan. 32.5 is the number of the game. That was Matt Ryan's grade under pressure. He was 8 of 15, 55 yards, Two interceptions, including a pick six, and three sacks. Matt Ryan, this is not just like this game that's been happening, and they're dropping back the pass a ton um, for for the the Colts. So, like, if you're going to continue to drop back a ton to pass, you probably have to get a little bit better with Matt Ryan under pressure, protect him better. 44 pass attempts in this game, 45 dropbacks to 17 carries in this game actually Matt Ryan has a carry here too I don't know that could have been a scramble so that might actually be 46 dropbacks to 17 carries for the Colts yeah there were some game script issues but you flip that around Ryan Tannehill had um, 20 pass attempts versus Derrick Henry's 30 rushing attempts so very big difference there and you need to get cleaned up like what Matt Ryan is doing under pressure I don't know if it's on Ryan I mean the second interception that was not the pick six also looked horrendous this uh, for him, but this season he matches his game grade for under pressure. He's been 32.5 grade under pressure for the season, 76 from a clean pocket. So he's been good from a clean pocket and the big negative plays though, under pressure, I don't know how you're going to end up dealing with that for, uh, the Colts going forward when you can't protect him well, and you can't get a sustainable running game going on the other side of the ball. Huge divisional again we talk about the leverage in this game huge leverage game here for who is going to win that division title because your chances of going to the playoffs outside of winning the division title are much less in that division than others because of the lack of strength uh, and team records there although you know low-key the titans despite losing week one where they really should have won against the giants the fact that they're sitting at four and two right now is a little bit better than most would expect it But as far as, again, the leverage on this game, they moved up 16% in their chance to win the division, up to a 72% chance to win the division for 
the Titans. Big, big game there. Um, Indianapolis drops over 10% in their division chances. They still have a 42% chance to make the playoffs, but you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what ends up happening for that one. And we look at these guys' schedule going forward, 17th hardest schedule for the Titans for the Colts 15th. So they both have kind of middling schedules. The fact that they have this first victory here against the, um, against, against the Colts for the Titans, and they have a half a game ahead in the standings is going to end up being big for them going forward. More particulars on this exact game. Tennessee was two and a half point favorite going into us. They win 19-10. The adjusted score, 24-19 Tennessee, a little bit closer. And that's mainly because of these huge negative plays. 10.3 expected points lost on that pick six by Andrew Adams on the play. You can't win. Can't win on plays like that. Uh, a couple other things to look at going forward in this one. Tannehill injury. I don't sure if it was a leg injury. I mean, it's definitely a leg injury. I'm sure if it was a knee or an ankle injury. I guess if he's in a walking boot, I assume it's a foot or ankle injury. He was in a walking boot after the game. Uh, Malik Willis did come in for a little bit before Tannehill came back. They had some weird play where Tannehill was in the game and he looked to hand it off to Willis, but Willis looked like he didn't know that it was coming and then it was fumbled. So kind of a sloppy game overall, but it was Tennessee doing what they want to do on the ground versus Indianapolis being forced into this Matt Ryan passaholic sort of attack. And even if he's not under pressure that often, when he has been under pressure, it could be so deadly and negative for them that it ends up ruining their chances. Need to get that fixed. Need to, need to, need to get that fixed for the Colts to have a chance to do anything in this offseason. All right, next game here is another divisional matchup. And that is, we're going to go to Baltimore for this one. And, you know, I realize here I don't have a, a video here for, for Baltimore. Let's, well, we'll get back to Baltimore. Let's go to Cincinnati here against Atlanta. The Falcons come to the jungle. In there for this Falcons defense. All three timeouts inside of a minute. Working the sideline, but then Chase comes back inside, and he's gone. Jamar Chase, second touchdown. This one from 41 yards out. Yes, Chase had an excellent sideline catch grab earlier in the game. Also, in this one, uh, is the Cincinnati offense back? You know, can, what can we do here? What what can we do about this, this, um, this offense? Can we rely on them going forward that to do this sort of thing, to do the sort of thing that we saw them doing last season where they could stretch the field with chase and get major, major yak on a lot of these plays like we saw from him here. And it's kind of amazing, Chase, like how well he's able to run away from the defense. Um, how well he's able to just accelerate and go forward. And I know he was taken out of the game at one point. We'll see what, you know, if there's going to be some difficulty for him going forward. But just just great to see this offense turn things around because they were one of the most underrated offense that I had seen so far this year uh, before – they started to come around here with these big plays. So the number of the game, though. Um, oh, sorry, this wrong number of the game. The number of the game is 21 in this game. 
What does 21 represent? Well, that is the pass rate under expectation for the Falcons in this game. 21% under expectation in this game. A new record on the season. And Arthur Smith, you know, he's trying to set a new record every single week, it seems like, with this offense. The way this game went, they were down by more than 10 points for for the final 50 minutes of a 60-minute game. Yet, they threw the ball 13 times. You're expecting a 63% uh, pass rate, and that's probably low. It probably should be over 70%. They actually threw it 42% of the time. Absolutely wild. I don't know what is going on here with this Falcons um, offense. And if we look at you know this season, what's going on here, the pass rate under expectation here, they still aren't quite to Bears territory, but the Bears have been getting better. Bears are 14% under expectation of the season. The Falcons are second at 12.4 under expectation. No other team is worse in the last nine years. No other team is, well, worse is a, whatever, I'm, I'm attributing a judgment call to this, but no other team is more run happy than the Falcons. And I don't know, like if I'm Terry Fontenot, the GM for the Falcons here, you spent the fourth overall pick on Kyle Pitts, highest draft pick ever for a, uh, for a tight end. You spent the your first first round pick the first pick of this draft the highest drafted receiver in this draft on drake london you bring in marcus mariota whatever marcus mariota's marcus mariota i get it um but still he had familiarity with arthur smith he's playing okay this season i mean he's not great by any stretch of the imagination but mariota 13th no sorry 12th in epa per play this season He's giving you the efficiency when he's allowed to pass, which isn't often, um, of a average NFL quarterback. But then you're just not passing the ball. Uh, in this game, you didn't really have much of a chance. I get it. You know, uh, 35-17. The adjusted score here was also 44-19 to towards Cincinnati. That's a very, very high adjusted score for Cincinnati. You're not going to be able to do much when the team is, has, you know, 99. I think it's 99.6 was his percentile as far as the offense in this game. Not going to be able to do a lot there. I get it. But generally, I think you have to lean into Mariota a little bit more in that passing game a little bit more, or else what's the point of spending back-to-back top 10 picks on receivers when you just basically refuse to use them no matter what the game script is in this particular situation? And they didn't run the ball particularly well. 29 carries for 107 yards, 3.7 yards per carry. And if you take Mariota out of there, who had six carries for 31 yards, then it drops closer to 3.3 yards per carry. Uh, on the other side, we like we like e what the uh, Bengals offense is doing. Remember last week, only two non-shotgun snaps, which was a sneak and a kneel down at the end of the game. This week, not quite as dominant uh, as far as shotgun. They did have 15 non shotgun snaps this week Um, but again you know they passed the ball 45 they dropped back the pass 45 times and they ran the ball another 21 times so they had you know 15 out of about 70 plays in this one 65 plays 70 plays in this one but eight of those plays were inside the falcons 10 yard line they were living inside the falcons 10 yard line in this game so when they did go under center 
maybe they shouldn't even do that when they're near the goal line, but that's when they were doing it. Still, their their core offense is now building around shotgun and also building around passing the ball. It's weird that we like begged uh, Zach Taylor to do this last season to open it up, let Burrow, you know, cook in this offense, and he wouldn't do it until the second half of the season when they end up killing. And then this season, <laughs> again, with his offense, like they start off the season over expectation passing the ball, but only slightly. Last two games, this is when they've been cooking, remember? The last two games, 22% over expectation in week six, 23% over expectation in week seven. They are really letting it go in this one. And maybe it's just how they feel about the matchup and then they're leaning into it. But let's keep doing this, Bengals. I love it. 481 passing yards. Let's 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 do more of that, uh, especially when I have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins on a lot of fantasy football teams. I like these. Uh, Tyler Boyd, though, 155 yards and a touchdown. Everyone, there's enough for everyone in this offense. It's bountiful. 93 yards for Higgins, 130 yards for Chase, 155 yards for Boyd. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on leaning into that. Go with that in this particular offense. Uh, where do we stand now? For the Bengals, I have them as being easily within the top 10 teams. I got them jumping over the Rams now as far as how good they are. Pretty close to the 49ers. That defense continues to be very, very solid this year. They do have the toughest schedule remaining. So that is going to be really the issue for them is that they gave up some games earlier this season. Uh, Remember earlier this year, they they lose to the Steelers in week one in overtime. Really should have won that game. They lost to the Cowboys without Dak Prescott. Um, you know, they lost to the Ravens where they probably could have won that game a few weeks ago. So now they're coming on. But, you know, other than the fact that they're going to face the Panthers in a couple of weeks, they still got to go against a good Browns team, a good Titans team, the Chiefs, the Browns again, the Bucks. Let's see if the Bucks can get things together. The Bills, the Ravens, the Patriots. Eh, it, it's going to be a tough go. It's going to be a tough go for them the rest of the way. At the same time, the struggles within the division, I think, are going to help them. The Ravens do not seem to be like a powerhouse team at all type of team. I think the Bengals are a better team than the Ravens right now, uh, despite the fact if you look at the, the standings, you know, they sit basically the same in the standings. Uh, I think they're the better team, especially defensively than the Ravens right now. So they have a good chance going forward. Falcons, I don't know what to say about the Falcons. I mean, you know, it's not much to say. They still have a 28% chance to make the playoffs, mostly because they have a 20% chance to win the division because of that NFC South. Someone has to win the NFC South. And I guess, you know, it could be the Falcons, but not in this game, not with the way that defense played. And if I know anything about DPs, that uh, Dean Pease, the, uh, the offensive, the defensive coordinator there, it's going to be an unpleasant week for that Falcons defense, listening to him there. Uh, one other thing on the injury front, A.J. Terrell out, hamstring injury ruled out very early. We'll see what ends up going on with him going forward. Okay, another team that is reeling right now, the Green Bay Packers come to Washington and do not come away with a W. Keep that clock moving. If they get a first down, the game's essentially over. Green Bay's now out of timeouts. Play the game right now. Heineke, hit as he throws, launches, it is caught! Terry McLaurin holds on. Yes, McLaurin holds on. Does does fall out of bounds, which meant that um, they had a little bit more trouble running the clock there. 
at the end and ending the game, but that was the play of the game that did seal it. Taylor Heineke wins. Uh, I must feel bad a little bit for Carson Wentz that they get this victory with Heineke when, I mean, Heineke stunk in this game. I mean, he, he, he played well in the second half, but five turnover worthy plays, a pick six. He had a fumble six that was called back by penalties. We had him at a 33 grade in this game. One of the worst grades of anyone has had this season. Uh, but he does try to gunsling a little bit. And I guess that's why some people like him. He definitely unlocked. Terry McLaurin in this game, McLaurin five catches, 73 yards and a touchdown where we hadn't seen much at all from him already this season. Okay. Uh, Number of the game is zero. That is the number of third and fourth down conversions for the Packers. O of seven in those situations. That is a killer, an absolute killer for an offense. I know they're struggling offensively. So maybe you just say, well, they're bad offensively. I think there's also a degree, at least, of bad luck in this when you can't make those conversions. You just have to be – maybe it's just no one that Rodgers can trust. Maybe the simplification issue that he talked about, it's just not ended up working out that well. But it ends up being a killer as far as losing about 10 expected points from the fact that you cannot convert, cannot sustain drives, cannot keep going forward. And that's what ends up happening when you only end up with 21 points in a game where you were okay from a success rate standpoint. Green Bay was a four and a half point favorite in this game. They continue to be maybe the worst team in the NFL versus the spread this season. They lose. Washington wins 23-21. The adjusted score, 2019 Green Bay. So, again, all of these turnover-worthy plays, some of them which did not end up counting for uh, Taylor Heineke, comes into play when that comes to it. Green Bay was more successful overall, 63%, 63rd percentile success rate. So they were actually okay in the success. They just could not convert the first downs, and that was a killer, killer, killer for them um, offensively. Only 22nd percentile success rate for Washington, but they did put together a few drives, which ended up, you know, allowing them to win the game here. Um, offensively, Aaron Jones, he, a lot of juice, but only 12 rushing attempts. Uh, not great, actually, and there's yards per carry there, but only 12 rushing attempts. And I think this is also something that comes into play when people say, you're not running the ball enough. You're not running the ball enough. Well, you got to convert first downs to keep running the ball. It's really hard to have a lot of rushing attempts in a game where you don't convert first downs because you run the ball on first down. You run the ball on second and medium. You rarely run the ball on third down unless it's third and short. So if you don't convert third downs, your proportion of third downs is high to rest the rest of your plays. And then it makes it really, really difficult to run the ball. Rogers, 5.5 yards per attempt. He ended up having some big plays later on. But if you looked earlier in the game, this is a good stat from Rob uh, Domofsky over at ESPN. And this is going into the two-minute warning. He had um, 38 yards passing, two-minute warning in the first half for Rodgers. 38 yards passing and had not attempted a 10-plus air yard throw at that point. Just nothing down the field, nothing stretching things. Uh, Eventually ends up getting going a little bit, but still, difficulty, difficulty, difficulty for him there. Uh, Another good stat when we talk about the Packers going forward from Timo Riske over at PFF here, uh, at PFF underscore move if you want to follow him on Twitter. Packers at Bills next week. The look ahead line in the offseason, it was Bills four point favorite. Last week it reopened at eight and a half. Now it's ten and a half. 
10-point favorites or 10-point underdogs, you should say, for the Packers, a team that was supposed to be competing for the Super Bowl this year. 10-point underdogs. I know the Bills are awesome, but the Packers are like falling out of the top 10 teams in the NFL right now. 37% chance for them to make the playoffs after this one. Things are going to get really, really ugly in Green Bay, especially considering the contract we're talking about for Rodgers. I don't think he's been really the problem problem, but if that defense can't win you games... It's going to be hard for this offense to do that. That's going to be the problem. Um, Simplify things. Don't simplify things. Throw it down the field. Sammy Watkins ain't helping. Um, Make a trade here. I don't know. They're they're at a desperation point. I know it's not Green Bay's MO to make a deal, to make a trade, to bring someone in. But, I mean, depends on who it is, I guess. Maybe someone like Brandon Cooks, if they want to look at him. So this talk about Claypool, I'm not sure if that helps a ton. Um, you need somebody, and you especially need somebody you can throw the ball down the field to. Maybe Cooks is that guy. It's funny, Cooks has played already in his career with Breeze, with Brady, um, you know, with all these high-end quarterbacks. Why not let, let him get a shot at, uh, get away from Davis Mills and get a shot at playing with Aaron Rodgers. He can tick off like all these uh, Hall of Famers before the end of his career. Okay, what do we have for our commanders? 22% chance to make the playoffs. Okay, well, not bad. Basically, no shot of winning the division, but still, one out of five chance of making the playoffs. I guess we're not going to see Sam Howell, although I, don't, I have no clue why Howell wasn't being considered more heavily for this. Again, Heineke's grade was probably the worst of the week of any quarterback, but they get the W, so that means more rope for Heineke, more, longer than we're going to have to sit around watching him, unfortunately, uh, and we won't get the Sam Howell experience for a bit longer. Okay, let's get to some of the more of the afternoon action and the fighting Geno Smith's win again while the Chargers are reeling. And for those players individually, there's Walker on first down. Gets the edge. Walker down the sideline. He's got the speed. Walker chugging down the sideline. Can he outrace Michael Davis? He can. 74 yards. And Kenneth Walker may have just put it on ice for Seattle. And he did put it on ice for Seattle in this game. Um, And the reason that he was able to put it on ice and, you know, we saw a lot of big throws from Gino. We continue to see that. We saw a lot of big plays here, but on the other side of the ball is really the story of the game and the Chargers season here. 4.8. That's the yards per play for the Chargers offense in this game against a Seattle Seahawks defense, which is not good. This is not a good defense people. Um, what is our level of concern here now when it comes to Justin Herbert, who I think by now, you know, should be okay in terms of his rib injury. What's our level of worry here with Herbert, who had a bad interception, who had three sacks, who averaged 5.7 yards per pass attempt. You take out the sacks, it goes underneath five yards per attempt. What's our level of concern here uh, when Austin Eckler is – getting 12 catches for 96 yards. They can't stretch the ball down the field at all. How big of a deal is really Keenan Allen not being there? Because I thought Herbert had performed pretty well with him out without him being there in the past. Like, where are we sitting with this team right now? Because I think it's worry time for an offense that I thought was going to be really, really good and a defense that I thought was also going to be improved. <laughs> not in this game, not in this season so far. Uh, the Chargers were disrespecting the market was disrespecting the Seahawks here. Chargers four and a half point favorites going into this. Seahawks win 
Adjusted score, eh, you know, decently big here, 29 to 19 towards Seattle. So still a pretty big movement in that direction. If we look at the, you know, the underlying numbers when, you know, is, is this a success rate problem? Is this a, an efficiency problem when it comes to for the Chargers? I mean, 45th percent success rate. I mean, percentile success rate, 27th in their efficiency. It's not getting it done. Not getting it done. Seattle, 75th and 83rd. Uh, running the ball was really where they were great. 95th percentile as far as their run efficiency. Decent throwing the ball, but again, you're getting a lot more probably highlights sometimes from Geno Smith in this passing office than you're getting efficiency. But when they can run the ball the way that they're running the ball in this particular game, you know, you can get Kenneth Walker going for 168 yards on 23 carries. You get DJ Dallas going for another 35 yards on six carries. That Chargers defense still can't can't guard anyone when it comes to the running game. When you get that going, then, you know, Gino can cook, uh, despite the fact that he had a couple of turnover-worthy plays. One of them was an interception. Took a couple sacks, 6.8 yards per attempt. Not fantastic. But, hey, you know, we'll, we'll – we'll, Take the victory. Take the victory for Gino um, in this game. Okay, going forward, where do these teams sit in the standings? And this is when it becomes interesting for the Chargers. They're four and three. So it's not like desperation time here. Only one game behind the Chiefs. Um, they should have beat the Chiefs when they played this year. They were the better team in that game. I know Chiefs fans hate me for that, but imagine if they would have won that game. They could have been five and two, the Chiefs four and three, and they would have had the first game in the in the potential tiebreaker. So missed opportunity there. But then again, uh, you need to take opportunities like this particular game. Now, where do they stand? Well, 42% chance to make the playoffs. Things are devolving for them. They're not all in this season, but they made a lot of free agent signings, especially JC Jackson, who was starting to play a little bit better in this game, had been one of the worst signing so far this season goes down to injury so that does not help either the Seahawks we keep doubting them you keep doubting the Seahawks and then all of a sudden you look up you flip over to the you know the the powerful NFC West with the Rams and the 49ers and the Cardinals the Seahawks number one in the division four and three over the rest of the teams uh still negative Negative three point differential on the season. Not again, not a good defense. So I don't know how um, the Chargers weren't able to score on this one, but hey, they will take it. And they have about a 40% chance to make the playoffs um, despite having the lead right now because we see them as regressing a bit. But who knows? They can continue to, you know, continue to own the nerds there, Gino. Let's, let's do it. I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it now after fighting it the first couple of weeks, Gino coming back here. So we shall see what will happen going forward. All right, you know what? Let's go. Um, let's go back in time here because I forgot that we skipped the Baltimore Cleveland game because I didn't have the the video for that. So let's go back to the morning. Let's go back to the other divisional matchup game, Baltimore Cleveland. Uh, the Ravens come away with the victory. No timeouts and seven seconds to go. It's percent. And he goes down the middle and it's caught by Peoples Jones and knocked away on the play and a fumble in Geno's. Yes, yes, a fumble to end the game. Browns lose again. Dark times. Dark times in Cleveland. You think things were dark last week? It's only getting darker in this particular game. And the reason, another reason why it's dark is that I know I had a little bit of a falling out with the Browns front office and coaching 
to a degree because of the Deshaun Watson, not a fan of bringing him in. But I thought we could still rely on them when need be to make the plays that you need to make, uh, to make the decisions that you need to make, the hard decisions that you need to make sometimes. And then I look up in this game, there is two minutes and nine seconds left, and that's when we get to our number of the game, which is 5.6. And that was the win probability forfeited on the decision by Kevin Stefanski. You're supposed to love this guy. He's supposed to be the nerd guy. To kick a 55-yard field goal on fourth and five with two minutes and nine seconds left. What are we doing here? Like, what are we doing here? You're going to give the ball back to Lamar Jackson, and even if you end up making this field goal, it's a tie game. You're giving the ball back to Lamar Jackson at that point with a rookie kicker who I know has got a big leg, but no sure thing from that sort of distance. This is one you got to do it because the upside of going for it is not only making the kick easier, it's not only getting the touchdown chance that you're going to have there, it's running out the clock. Even if you make this field goal, you put yourself in a position. And according to uh, the numbers here, even if you make the field goal, you're at a 31% win probability. So 70% of the time, you're losing the game even if you're making the field goal because the best case scenario is going to overtime here and you leave a ton of time for Baltimore to go and score on the other end. I know Baltimore hadn't been fantastic offensively, but still, they could come on here. Um, Whereas... If you succeed going for it on this play, you have about a 50% chance to win. Big, big, big chance to win. And of course, they, you know, they, they take a, no, they uh, take a false start on this one. Another sloppy sort of play. They move back five yards and it's a narrow, it's more narrow going for it, honestly, in this situation, because your conversion probability goes down so far, but you still should probably go for it in that situation on fourth and 10, instead of kicking a 60, 61 yard field goal. And he does it again, you know, misses it, loses the game, all that sort of stuff. Uh, disappointing. Disappointing for the Browns. Our Browns, maybe, I'm not going to revoke their status as our Browns, but it's getting close on this one. So Baltimore is a six and a half point favor in this game. I think I said I liked Kansas City. I mean, not Kansas City. I think I said I liked Cleveland on um, with the points. So congratulations to anyone who did a recreational bet on that one. Baltimore wins by three points, 23 to 20. Adjusted score, Cleveland continues to rack up adjusted wins versus actual wins. Adjusted score, 22-21 to Cleveland in this game. So why was that the adjusted score in this game? Well, the Browns actually had a decent success rate, success percentile here, 86th percentile versus only 50th for Baltimore. They just couldn't sustain the drives when they needed to be able to sustain the drives. That was ended up being a big problem. Because like the internals, as far as their yards per play and things like that, were good. You know, six yards per play to only four for the Ravens. But two for 11 on third down. And the Ravens were just like pounding the ball on the ground. 44 rushing attempts. Only two of those were Jackson scrambles. And they just continued to do that because they couldn't really pass the ball that well. Only 94 net passing yards for Lamar Jackson this game. You know, Cleveland could not take advantage uh, when they needed to here. And, of course, you had the strip sack fumble for Brissett. No turnovers, but strip sack fumble, five sacks. He's starting to become a little bit more of Brissett that we know and don't love as far as taking those sorts of negative plays. But when he was having success, it was 9.6 yards per attempt. When they were running the ball, it was 4.7 yards per attempt. 
Uh, a game that they really, really could have won on this one. But again, the Browns seem to be a little bit snake bitten, not pulling away with victories this year. And also David Njoku walking boot and crutches after the game. He had been killing it this year. He had seven catches for 71 yards in this game. He'd been averaging about seven and 75 over the last five games of the season. Going into playoff mode now, Cleveland down to 11% chance to make the playoffs. Baltimore up to 65% chance, but man, they're not really that good. You know, I, I think the Patriots might be a better team. They're right in this mix with maybe like the Vikings-ish sort of team. As far as how good they are outside of the top 10, I would have them outside of the top 10. And after a very strong start to the season for Lamar Jackson, he's still, you know, in a top 10 type of range for how well he's playing this year. But generally, how how good they've been doing running the ball has just not been there. Gus Edwards was a little bit better in this game. Um, but generally, it hasn't been great. I mean, Jesus, uh, Kenyon Drake in this last game, 11 carries for five yards. Yeah, it needs to be better than that. Uh, Mark Andrews, zero catches. That's another thing that stands out is like, what the heck happened here? But when I guess when you only have 95 net passing yards, um, you only have nine completions in the game. You're not going to see a whole lot there. Definite step back for the Ravens passing attack, which Lamar looked like he was maybe taking a step forward this year. And now it's going back, 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 back. Okay, let's get back to, speaking of back, let's get back to the afternoon here. And let's go to Las Vegas. Let's hit Vegas. Let's hit let's hit the strip here. Uh, Vegas against the Houston Texans. Here they've got to be able to get it down the field. No throwing intercepted. Picked off in the middle of the field by Duran Harmon. Harmon up the sideline. Harmon is going to take it all the way to the end zone for the touchdown. Yes, the Raiders are able to win. Raiders, one of the better teams in the NFL versus what their record is so far this year. The Raiders are sitting there going into this game at one and four, but they're a pretty solid team. Now up to two and four, chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, it's not not great, but still 23%, one and four, not bad. I think this Raiders team internally is someone who could, like if they sneak into the playoffs, could be somewhat interesting. Actually, notice I left the Jets for last year. So apologies, Jets fans. I know you think you're not getting what your your deserves uh, from across the board here. And it looks like I accidentally threw you down um, to the end of the list here. So we'll we'll get to, we'll get to you, Jets. But let's talk about this one first, and let's talk about the number of the game first in this one, and that is uh, 55. So that was the Raiders' win probability at the end of the third quarter. This was a closer game than some people think, and that's why I put the pick six in there. Uh, by far the most meaningful play of this game is that the Houston offense was a little bit better. Maybe that would be my one thing that I would say. The Houston offense is a little bit better than you might think. Um, the you know the Raiders were seven-point favorites in this one. They win by 18 points, so it looks pretty impressive there, 38-20. to 20. Justice scored 35-29. to 29. Both offenses were pretty good internally in this game. I mean, Damian Pierce had his 92 yards rushing. Again, Davis Mills, 302 yards passing. Took one sack for six yards, but then the, the, his INT was a killer, an absolute killer there. Um, but the success rates were pretty high in this one. So outside of the pick six, and there's a missed field goal from only 39 yards for Houston, Maybe a little bit closer than you would have thought. 
Raiders got on track offensively. I mean, Josh Jacobs, 143 yards on 20 carries, three touchdowns. Anyone has him in fantasy, maybe the fantasy pick of the year so far as someone who was like the supposed dead zone running back. Now he's just absolutely crushing um, on the season and winning leagues for people this year. Um, on the defensive side, eight pressures for Max Crosby, but no sacks is notable. Six broken tackles for Damian Pierce, who is tied up there with Nick Chubb leading the league this season. And, you know, Houston, I mentioned earlier, they only have one win. They basically have a 3% chance to make the playoffs. They're in contention now for that number one pick. But I still think Mills is good enough to potentially win them some games where that won't happen. But we'll see. That's probably the only thing that you're really caring about, that and whether or not they're going to trade off anyone like Brandon Cooks to try to get some more assets for next year. Okay, let's get to the last game of the week. Apologies, Jets fans, for keeping this into the end. And maybe well, actually, maybe to cover your eyes, even for this highlight, because the most impactful play of the game, the highlight of the game, also comes at a very bittersweet cost, eventually, for the Jets. They're right back in this thing. Second snap for Denzel Mims. He's in there. They go to the run game. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown. Yes, Brees Hall, 62 yards to the house. Really the only explosive element the Jets had in their offense. And maybe the only explosive element really they have in their offense for the last few weeks. And that's why... The ACL injury of his, and I, I haven't been checking. Maybe you guys can just pop up in the comments that, um, that you it, it, whether what's happening as far as whether that's confirmed for an ACL tear. I, I think that's a, like, I think their initial like diagnosis that they can do just feeling around is almost a certainty in a lot of these circumstances. So probably an ACL tear, probably out for the year. Uh, very, very disappointing was good. was the leading contender for offensive rookie of the year so far. And in this game, I mean, geez, four carries 70, 72 yards and a touchdown with that big, big run that he's playing here. Whereas Michael Carter comes in and averages 2.2 yards per carry after that. And what's important, this let's get, to, let's get to the running back discourse. Um, maybe I should actually say that explosive plays. So running back, running the ball is good, can be good in two different ways. One, conversions. If you're especially good at converting in these short to medium situations where you really need to convert, that can be highly valuable, especially near the end zone from an EPA sort of standpoint. Now, I'm a little less willing to give like the running back credit for those types of conversions versus the blocking, getting a push, just being big, maybe in some circumstances. Um, the other area is you're kind of like rushing yards over expected sort of metric and whether or not that and the explosive plays and having the speed to turn a play that for most running backs would end up being, I don't know, um, you know, like for this, for this run here for Brees Hall, he wasn't touched for a while. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't, he wasn't touched for a while, but he still had to be able to get through the second level of that defense and take it all the way to the house. That's what makes a big difference. That's what the huge expected points add for your team is when you're getting through that second level and taking it all the way to the end. 
So if we look at our rushing yards over expected so far in this season, yeah, I mean, he's up there. He's in the top 10. He's at 113 yards over expectation. That's a big one. If you look at it on a per carry basis, because he hasn't had as many carries as some of these other guys, he's in the top five so far this season. And this offense, and this is going to be the negative side of the Jets talk when we're coming into this. This offense is just, you know, not very good. Um, and that comes to our number of the game here, which is three. And that's the outperformance for the Jets offense rushing versus passing the ball. They averaged three more yards per rushing attempt than they did per net passing attempt in this game. They can't pass the ball very well. Zach Wilson had flashes a couple of weeks ago with his best grade on the season, but then it hasn't come together outside of that 4.7 yards per attempt. And then when you take out the sacks and you do the net yards per attempt on this one, it is well under four It's about three and a half net yards per attempt for Zach Wilson. Not good. Now the Denver defense, and this is what's sad about what's going off offensively for this team and Russell Wilson, Denver defense, they could be the best defense in the NFL. So, uh, you know, I'll give them some credit there. Um, I mean, I'll give them some slack, I guess, for the fact that Wilson did not perform well this game. But every week that goes by, and this goes for Trevor Lawrence too, this goes for, I guess the, 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 the ship has kind of sailed on Justin Fields, but it definitely goes for Trevor Lawrence too. It's like each week that goes by, for Wilson and for others, when they're not establishing themselves in the second year, then you start to say, okay, now we're getting into our path to being an elite quarterback is that Josh Allen type of path, which only happens once every you know generation. <laughs> that someone jumps out of nowhere after being poor their first couple of years. And that's what we start to worry about here. Wilson had a 50 passing grade in this game. Uh, no big time throws. He's not really stretching the ball down the field as much as you would hope for someone who has that type of arm also. And this is while being surrounded by Garrett Wilson and, you know, they brought back Braxton Berrios, whatever you think about him, Corey Davis, Corey Davis didn't play a lot of snaps here. I guess maybe he got injured in this game. I should check that. Um, I know he didn't have Elijah Moore, but Elijah Moore wasn't really doing anything. He was there. They brought in Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzoma uh, on the offensive line. They spent a lot there for what's going on, although Lakeland Thomason had a little bit of, uh, of an issue with his pass protection in this one. But Dwayne Brown and others have been pretty solid this year. You just put a lot in place to be good offensively, and then you have a performance on this one where, eh, you know, not much, not much going on here. In fact, if you go all the way to the adjusted scores, Denver had a better adjusted score in this game because you take out that long touchdown and you don't have much for the Jets. Their adjusted score was 16-12 towards Denver, although it was 16-9 in the actual score in this game. Um, another a couple other numbers that feed into that adjusted score, why there is the differential there. The success, the total success rate um, percentile for the Jets was 2.4 in this. Can't get much worse than that. Whereas the... For the Broncos, it was 22, 22. So not great percentile there, but at least manageable. Just, you know, again, passing the ball, 10th percentile success rate and uh, second percentile as far as EPA. Just not good. Not good for Zach Wilson. And, and more, more um, context on Wilson here 
again, sorry to be pooping all over Zach Wilson when you guys are probably trying to be happy here, but he's about 30th in his efficiency and his grading so far this season. So that's going to need to improve for Wilson going forward. But all that being said, all that built into projections. Uh, I know Brees Hall is missing. Not good, but they might be able to weather the storm at least a little bit with Sauce Gardner and others playing well. Oh, I have a Sauce Gardner stat, so I'll have some good stats for you, Jets fans, in a second. Uh, Jets, we have them about 60% chance to make the playoffs now. So we don't have them as a great team overall, so that's what's holding them down a little bit in this number. I know they're 5-2, and two, so you think they might be higher than that. But still, I think you would take that going into the season for most Jets fans and that's with a pretty poor assumption for what Zach Wilson's going to be able to do this year. But on the positive side, again, going over to the, the defensive side of things, Sauce. Let's talk about Sauce. Okay. He had an 86.8 coverage grade in this game, 84.1 on the season. So if you look at all cornerbacks who had at least 150 snaps, uh, coverage snaps this season, and a coverage grade, this season, it is number one, coverage grade, Patrick Sertan. Sertan. Number two, Jalen Ramsey. Number three, Sauce Gardner. Sauce is only behind Sertan, who's kind of established himself as one of the best guys out there. I mean, great. It played in the same game, right? Great, great player, part of driving that potentially best defense in the NFL for the Denver Broncos. And then Jalen Ramsey. And then Sauce as a rookie coming in right at that level. Incredible play for him um, this season. And the Broncos, where do we stand now with Russell Wilson coming back next week when they're going to be playing in London? I mean, we still have the Broncos as being like a, maybe the 20th best team in the NFL, 18th, 20th, so not that bad, but only a 7% chance to make the playoffs. So they have a similar chance to make the playoffs as the Detroit Lions. Similar-ish sort of chance, a worse chance than the New Orleans Saints, a worse chance than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not good. Not good, especially because their schedule, if you look at their schedule this year, they had the second easiest schedule year to date, and they had the seventh hardest going forward. It's going to be a lot of dark times for Russ if they can't get things turned around, sitting at two and five now. They need the win in London against the Jaguars, who the Jaguars are kind of like the adopted team in London. So they need that win. They need the win in Tennessee the next week, and they probably also need the Raiders and the Panthers after that, because it's be that four games there for them to turn things around. Because after that, we're talking Ravens, Chiefs, Cardinals, Rams, Chiefs again, Chargers. That's going to be tough. So they're going to need a few victories here in the next few weeks or else things aren't going to turn around. But at least Russell Wilson should be back for the next game. All right, everybody, we did it all. We said it all. We got through all the games. I appreciate everyone tuning in. I hope you, if you're watching on YouTube, enjoy the, uh, you know, the little display of some numbers there at the bottom, help clarify things for you. Drop your reviews, your comments in YouTube, Apple Podcasts, every place else. I'm going to be doing mailbag this Friday. I promise to actually do it when there's no news, hopefully. So leave me some mailbag questions. I will get to them on Friday. And tomorrow we're going to adjust things a little bit. In the morning, we're not going to do the Monday night football in the morning. I mean, it's Bears-Pats, so hopefully you guys aren't missing it too much. But later on, at around 6 o'clock, I don't know if I can live stream, but we'll try to get the video out later in the evening. I'm going to be taping Tuesday evening with Sam Schwartzstein, who is the, the 
numbers analytics guy. You came on this podcast once before. He worked with the XFL before. He's going to be on. Uh, he's helping out with the broadcast for Prime Video for their Thursday night games. So we'll preview that game a little bit, talk about the behind the scenes, what's going on with him and Al and Kirk and everyone, Fred Gadelli and everyone who's working over there with that broadcast. And of course, he's just a super smart dude who played offensive line for the Stanford Cardinal with Andrew Luck back in the day. Uh, we'll talk about all that stuff. So that should be a good uh, week, midweek edition where I think we're going to try to do it on a regularized basis, depending upon his schedule. But we're definitely got it coming this week, and it'll be ready for you on Wednesday mornings in your favorite podcast apps. All right. For everyone who is listening on here, thank you again, and I'll be talking with you Wednesday morning. Let's stay with you.